Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Racinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. You know, as always, we ask, please download the app, share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, uh, we've gotten, we're relatively new to Twitter and we're building up our audience there. So if you could follow us at with Joe and Joe on Twitter, that would be great. Um, and of course, we're on YouTube and Facebook. Hit a button, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Help us out. Now, this is a conversation that Joe and I love to have, okay? Because today, we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming to the program Joshua Charles. Now, we're going to be discussing a new edition that Josh edited of a book written by Monsignor George Dillon back in the 19th century uh, titled The War of the Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization. Now, all you out there at Veritas know that is a relevant topic right now. That's not just something to be discussed in the 19th century. So Joshua Charles is joining us. For those of you not familiar with Josh, uh, he is a number one New York Times bestselling author, historian, uh, cl uh, classical pianist, uh, and a former White House speechwriter. He has degrees in music, government, and law, and he came into the Catholic Church from Protestantism in 2019. Uh, just background on Monsignor Dillon was an Irish Catholic missionary who served as a priest in Australia for many years, where he was also a missionary apostolic of Pope Pius IX. In 1884, he delivered a series of lectures in Edinburgh on Freemasonry in response to Pope Leo XIII's call to tear away the mask of free Freemasonry. These were published as a book in 1885 entitled The War of Antichrist with Church and Christian Civilization, which Joss has edited, which was, by the way, endorsed by Pope Leo XIII. Joshua Charles, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Like I said, this is going to be a great conversation. I am going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Josh, we always start with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, amen. Son, Holy Spirit, amen. I'll be honest with you, Josh. Um, we always say we learn from our guests as much as our listeners do. I don't know that much about Freemasonry. I know, you know, the church is against it. I also have, I'm going to tell you something personal. Joe, Joe will probably uh, chime in as well. One of my children, have five kids, their godfather, Alex, he's Cuban, and he always talks about Freemasons. Always. Whenever he's in my house, he's always going on and on and on. And and to be honest, I don't in know that He's again, like he's like okay, a militant. He's militant <laughs> about it. And and I don't know that much about Freemasonry. I there's temples near my house, to be honest with you. And I know casual people that are like, yeah, I belong, you know, to the Mason Lodge, almost like it's like 
uh, Ralph Alps. Cramden with, uh, you know, the raccoon, uh, you know, they almost the talk about it very casually. Um, so I'm very interested. I think this is an important conversation. So I think a good place to start is like, who are the Freemasons? What are their goals? What's their deal? You know, let's lay the groundwork. Sure. Well, let's uh, define a few terms up front. Uh, Pope Leo XIII and Monsignor Dillon. Just to be clear, in 1884, Pope Leo XIII delivered his great encyclical on Freemasonry. That'd be a great place for people to start if they wanted to investigate this humanum genus on Freemasonry. And at the end of that comes the Sorry, you're both named Joe, so I have to say I'll just say Pacello and Rechinet yeah, Joe or Joe P. It's all okay. Joe and Joe P. So, but at the end of Humanum Genus, he said, "Tear off the mask of Freemasonry." That's where that call comes from. And so then Monsignor Dillon later that year delivered these lectures, eight, late 1884, and then this book was published in 1885. I read this book in or during the lockdowns of 2020, that that semi-eventful year that we all went through, and. Frankly, I was shocked at the relevance of it. A lot of what he was talking about, the agenda uh, to overturn the overturn Christian civilization seemed extremely relevant. Uh, not only just the last century, but frankly, what we were experiencing, <laughs> uh, which felt like a dry run, I must say. And so, um, yeah, so a few clarifications. One, when Pope Leo XIII and Monsignor Dillon used the term Freemasonry, they are including everything that not only goes by the name Freemasonry, but any occult, which literally means secret, any occult society that basically has as its goal spreading occultism, overturning Christian civilization and whatnot. Now, so what is the essence of occultism? Well, this can all get a little bit technical, but it all comes down to one thing ultimately. As Catholics, we believe we must be united to God by grace. The infinite creator and the finite creature for us to be in heaven, we need to be united, and the way we're united is by grace. God gives us his Holy Spirit. He dwells in our souls as in a temple, as St. Paul says, and that's called being in a state of grace, when the Holy Trinity indwells our souls. And then when we commit a mortal sin, He does just like he left the old temple in Israel, he leaves our soul, we have to go to confess, whatnot, but that's how we're saved. We're, we're united to God through grace. The essence of all occultism is to separate nature and grace. That's the essence of it, um, whether that's in, you know, part of the agenda that is outlined by Leo XIII and Monsignor Dillon is to separate nature from grace, to separate fallen, original sin, tainted human nature from the divine life in, in uh, marriage, in education, in church and state relations, in the church itself with the temporal and the spiritual authority of the pope. And both of them say it's animated, this agenda is ultimately animated by a socialistic, communistic, what will terminate in a pantheistic agenda for the world, literally nature worship. So there's a whole lot of threads to this. So let me just put a few a key point on the line. The reason why masonry and occultism want to separate nature from grace is because they ultimately believe there's here's all the difference in the world, whether the divinity has to come into your soul or whether the divinity is already in your soul by nature. If you listen to a lot of popular shows like Oprah, or frankly, just a lot of pop stars and the way a lot of our culture talks, many of them will speak as if the divine principle is already in us. Oh, just look inside. The secrets are inside. The divine is already within you. I was just 
hearing a, a popular celebrity talk about this. I mean, that's occultism. This is what Satan was trying to tempt Adam and Eve with at the garden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree, the one tree we weren't supposed to eat from, and the tree of life. And he tempted them to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by saying, you will be as gods. Now, what was he trying to do? He was trying to say, if you eat of this tree, you'll enter into a gnosis, a knowledge, you'll obtain a knowledge. And when you have that knowledge, you'll be as like, you'll be like gods. So what's the implicit, it's not stated out loud, but what's the implicit assumption there? The implicit assumption is there's already a divinity inside of you to be like a god. You just need the right gnosis to access it, okay? So that's the essence of all Freemasonry. That's the essence of all occultism. So when we're talking about Freemasonry, as I said, it refers to all occult societies whose goal is to propound this view where nature has a divinity of its own and uh, to separate nature from grace in all areas of life. And it doesn't necessarily mean the nice guy who outwardly is a Freemason and goes at the lot. Now, that's not good. Catholics can't do that. But as Pope Leo XIII and Monsignor Dillon talk about frequently, it's it's usually not the lower-level guys we're talking about here. There's a whole hierarchy of, I guess you could say, conspiracy uh, that they outline. And it's really the higher-level folks who are directing a lot of things. And again, we have to realize... The air we breathe in our modern culture, I would argue, is Freemasonic. The whether it's in marriage or church-state relations or education, all the agenda items that Monsignor Dillon and Pope Leo XIII go down, the air we breathe, the assumptions we have that I should be free to do whatever I want, that I can find the true religion totally on my own. That's very much from Protestantism. Um, that if I consent to be in a marriage, I can break it if I'm no longer happy. I mean, you, you just go down the line. Our assumptions, the air we breathe is Freemasonic. But people need to realize that. So people who have the name Freemason don't really have much left to do <laughs> in that sense. But Freemasons were very much involved in the French Revolution, in other 19th century revolutions. They were actively conspiring um, in what in what Monsignor Dillon calls the intellectual party and the war party. The intellectual party being the pamphleteers, those in the legislatures. And the war party being those who are actually on the street on occasion taking up arms and directing other people to do the same. So just some of those preliminaries uh, up front. Thanks for that. Joshua Charles is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Now, he has edited a book that was written by Monsignor George Dillon, The War of the Antichrist with Church and Christian Civilization, that is available at Tan Books. Josh, let me ask you this. You're an historian. Um, what if I was to say that what because I want to talk about goals here. It always struck me, and I'd love you to love for you to correct me if I'm wrong, that what their goal is basically there is a parallel between what they want now and the Roman Empire. And what I mean by that is we know that Western civilization, to which uh, there were contributions from Greece and Rome, that's undeniable, okay? No. But, but Rome fell, and on those ruins, the Catholic Church built Western civilization. And it was Catholic civilization for a thousand years. And I've always thought, maybe I'm thinking superficially, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that the goals of these people are just a return to pagan Rome. What do I mean by that? Central government, one world order. You could do what you want in your provinces, but there'll be strong governors. You can worship that Jesus or that God or whatever, but just make sure you pinch incense to the emperor. Make sure you, you pay your taxes, okay? That type of thing. Tell me if... Tell me if I'm thinking in the right direction. No, I think you're thinking in the right direction, maybe even more than you realize. So, again, a lot of threads to this, and I know we've got limited time. 
Um, all right, I'll outline my theory of history here. I don't go into it a whole lot in the book, but let's go to Second Thessalonians 2. This is where St. Paul talks about the coming of the Antichrist. And he calls the Antichrist the man of the law. He actually doesn't use the term Antichrist in that chapter, but it's unanimously interpreted by the fathers and the tradition of the church is referring to Antichrist. And he refers to Antichrist as the man of lawlessness. Okay, so then that raises a question. Uh, he says there's something restraining his coming. It's The term is katakon, and it, it refers to a neuter it and a singular he. So I'll get to that later. Um, but something's restraining the coming of Antichrist. So if the man, Antichrist is the man of lawlessness, what would be restraining him? Presumably some force of lawfulness. And so what has the church's traditional teaching been on the sources of law and order that God has established in the world? Well, the temporal power and the spiritual power. The temporal power holds the sword, and the spiritual power holds uh, moral authority and the authority to teach the faith. So temporal powers and the and the priesthood of the Catholic Church. And so in Christendom, the two were distinguished. They were distinguished, but they were united. So when a king was coronated, this king was also a Catholic. So what did that mean? Just like you and I, just like all of us, we're underneath our spiritual fathers. Now, our bishops aren't telling you guys how to run your podcast. They're not telling us how to how to run our businesses or, you know, things of that sort. But when it comes to faith and morals, they have the authority to say what the faith is, what the natural law teaches, etc. So in Christendom, these temporal rulers who had potestas, this is what the church always called it, power, had to submit to the auctoritas, authority of the church on faith and morals. So they weren't independent to dictate whatever morality should be according to their own whims. The church of Jesus Christ had the authority to say, this is, this is right, this is wrong. This is the faith, this isn't the faith. And so Paul talks about this restraint that is holding back the coming of Antichrist. But then he says later on, right before Antichrist appears, that this restraint will essentially stop restraining. Now, I'll give you my ex the extremely short version of my theory. I've done some lectures on this. My theory is that this restraint is Christendom. It's, the, it's the, ultimately the union of the two powers— we know that when the church started, the, you know, that union didn't initially exist, but we built up to it. And then around Constantine, and it was never a perfect arrangement. This is not paradise. You know, we're not saying it'll be like heaven on earth. Far from it. The church always has to go through a, a tumultuous and warlike pilgrimage to heaven. But that was Christendom. And it would go through time. And then eventually that restraint, the restraint of lawlessness, would, would cease restraining. And then Antichrist would come. So... I've connected this with many other parts of Scripture. So, for example, Apocalypse 20 refers to Satan being bound, and then a thousand years where the thrones are set up. I, this is the church. I'm just skipping a lot of arguments right now, just stating the conclusions. This is the church. But then it talks about Satan being unbounded for a brief time. And then in Jesus' parables, we have parables about the strong man, this Satan, being bound, and then his goods being plundered from his house, but then the strong man comes back with seven more demons, okay? And then in Daniel, we have during the days of those kings, this is about Daniel 2, 42 or so, those kings are Rome, the Roman Empire. The God of heaven will establish a kingdom that will last forever. It will be a, a little stone that will grow into a mountain that will fill the whole earth. All the fathers interpreted this as a church. That's Daniel 2. But then in J Daniel chapter 12, at the end times, Daniel asked the angel, when will all this happen? 
and Daniel sa- and the angel says to him, when the power of the holy people has been shattered. So there's there's a sense in which the the kingdom is still there. It's almost being consummated. We know it'll come down from heaven, but its power has been shattered. So we see this pattern. I call it restrain, release, return. Restrain, Satan is restrained. Then there's this period of Christendom. He's released for a brief time, and then Christ returns. So that's the grand pattern. So yes, these all that to say, these Masons, I, I quote some of their writings in the introduction, they believe they are inheritors of the pagan mystery system that the Catholic mysteries supplanted. I mean, the church fathers, when they're talking to a lot of pagans, they're saying, look all around you. Your altars are being replaced by altars to Christ. The pagan temples are going away. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is being acknowledged all around you. Roman paganism is failing. Um, and and this was part of uh, the fulfillment of prophecy that the prophets had, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would be known from one end of the earth to the other. And so the pagan mysteries, you can read about this in some of the Roman histories, like Suetonius. He talks about Augustus. He's in a court proceeding. But then there's a part of the court proceeding that Suetonius describes where Augustus has to go off to the side and confer privately with others, only those who have been initiated into the mysteries. He's he's talking about the Eleusian mysteries, which Augustus was initiated into in Greece. This is this is all in a standard ancient Roman history. And so these pagan mysteries, which we know from Paul, they worship demons. That's what the pagan the pagan gods were, idols were. And there's many crazy stories from church fathers about all this stuff. It's very, very interesting. Um, but that was supplanted by the Catholic mysteries, the Catholic sacraments baptism, uh, the Eucharist, confirmation, all, all the all the sacraments that we rely on. And uh, so, yeah, I these guys see themselves, all occult societies see the Catholic Church as the great enemy of this pagan mystery system, themselves as the inheritors of it, and themselves, frankly, as the avengers of it. So you're on the right track, and it's perhaps even far deeper than you realize is what I would say. So. Well, thank you for that. Joshua Charles joining us here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy the book written by Monsignor George Dillon, edited. The new edition is edited by Joshua Charles, and he is a number one New York Times bestselling author, historian, classical pianist, and uh, former White House speechwriter. The War of the Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization. So far, Josh, this, this conversation is absolutely fascinating. Joe Resinello. I'm going to harken back to something you said a little earlier, but it's so important, and I'd like you to to, to tie that to what uh, I talk about constantly, and so does Joe, the World Economic Forum. And why do I say that? Um, And again, people are like, when you mention it, you're a conspiracy nut. No, I'm not. And I don't think people read what's coming out of that organization enough. And why I bring it up is this. You said that there's a nature worship to some of this. Well, that's what climate alarmism is. It's a nature worship. I say this constantly on our podcast, Josh. I say like back in the day, people worship nature. They were caveman and they wrote on the walls of a cave with like buffalo blood. Now these people went to Harvard. They have $3,000 suits on and they worship nature. You listen to from King Charles to leaders of corporations. These are smart people. Unequivocally, maybe not King Charles, but I digress. I don't want to go. I don't want to. I don't want to bad math. My name's name. sick. My name. Yeah, exactly. But I'm saying a lot of these people. They're brilliant people, yet they worship nature, 
And a lot of what we're seeing out of that organization, the World Economic Forum, is impacting regular people because it is a worship of the environment. Talk about that and connect the, the line. Sure. Well, a few quick points. One, um, intellectual brilliance by no means guarantees you're on the right path. Lucifer was the single most brilliant created mind prior to his fall. And he led the rebellion of all the angels against God. So Josh, let me, let me, let me, I just got to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Did you see the movie Nefarious yet? I haven't seen it yet. I've heard good. I got to tell you, I just got to say, but the main character whose name, whose, whose name is Nefarious, he says to the guy who comes to see him, the psychologist, he said, I'm the most rational being you will ever meet. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You just reminded me of that. No, well, <laughs> no, 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 that's great. And Pope Leo talks about this. He talks about how all of masonry and whatnot is based on two things uh naturalism uh i call it sola natura i came from protestantism so the batch of you know i love my protestant brethren many of them still friends and mentors but protestantism is very dangerous uh the batch of heresies you know sola scriptura uh sola fide faith alone scripture alone etc so i i called it sola natura nature alone again the idea is that nature without grace meaning nature without being reborn in baptism without being given the Holy Spirit in, in baptism, in the Eucharist, and confirmate all these things, that nature alone is sufficient to attain divine life and, and eternal life. So when you talk about naturalism and rationalism, it's the belief that the human mind is sufficient to attain to the highest knowledge of God. Whereas Catholics, as Catholics, we don't believe that. We believe that even faith is a gift that God gives us. So let me go back to Joe, Joe R.'s original question. There's two extremes in the church today. One extreme is there's a mason under every rock. And both Leo XIII and Monsignor Dillon both say, no, 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 that's not quite true. And there's also a dangerous tendency in that. The tendency is to externalize evil, whereas Catholics, we, we should know at least that we need to be most vigilant about our own souls, right? You know, before we call out the, the, the speck in our brother's eye, we take care of the log in our own eye. And so there, there can be this dangerous tendency, excuse me, there can be this dangerous tendency sometimes to externalize evil and say it's, it's those people and it's out there. And that can certainly be true as long as we're not ignoring the evil we have to deal with in here. So that's one extreme. The other extreme are those who say that anybody who talks about these things are tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists, as you were just saying. Um, if that's true, to be consistent they must say that centuries worth of Roman pontiffs were tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists because the popes warned about this for centuries. And recall, the popes used to be heads of the papal states until 1870, de facto. Uh, and it was finalized in the Lateran Treaty of 1929 with, with Mussolini's Italy. Um, and so as the head of the papal state, they had a police force, they had a military. And so they actually obtained quite a few documents from some of these secret societies who were trying to overturn Christianity and as you were saying, Joe, Joe P., uh, reinstitute uh, a form of these pagan mysteries. So when it comes to groups like the World Economic Forum, um, yeah, uh, I, frankly, Joe, I was, well, Joe R., <laughs> I, uh, when I was reading uh, this book during the lockdowns, I, I, was, I was going through the agenda. I was like, yep, check, check, check. This all sounds extremely familiar. Um, and when you, you know, I've actually read some of Klaus Schwab's books, some of Yuval Harari's books. What's what's so interesting about it is they're utterly materialistic. There's zero transcendent horizon for man's destiny. 
Um, and so these guys really do believe it's a form of, um, you know, communism was always intrinsically materialistic, uh, which is why Leo XIII connects it with Freemasonry and all, all these sorts of things. But capitalism, worldwide capitalism is becoming this way as well. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be this way. You know, the church explicitly condemns communism. Capitalism is not so explicitly condemned. It has greater possibilities to be in line with human dignity and whatnot. But right now, we really are seeing with the with the mel melding of state and corporate power and the extent to which all these, these elites in society want to manage all the little people, we are seeing a materialistic vision being foisted on the world where there's no there's no room for God, there's no room for a sacramental life. They literally believe that if you rearrange matter, you'll arrive at some sort of utopia. And when you read Schwab's books, he clearly believes this. There's not a single mention of God. He does talk about nature as a personified entity, but never mentions God. Um, Yuval Harari, his books are even creepier. You know, the pagan gods were human beings that were later divinized. This is why Roman emperors, when they died, the, the Roman Senate typically voted to, to divinize them, whatnot. And so this is why pharaohs were seen as walking gods on the earth. The pharaoh was seen as literally the source of order uh, on the earth for uh, for Egypt. And so um, what Yuval Harari talks about in some of his books is he literally says that we will become like gods. His, his book is called Homo Deus, you know, because we're Homo sapiens. He says the next stage in human history is Homo Deus, that we will become like gods. We'll even outdo the old gods. He literally says this. He literally says this, and he believes it will be attained by AI, by technology, all these sorts of things. Yeah. So, so no, it's not. It's not nuts. I'm a, I'm an original sources guy. So can there be some claims that are made on the internet that are that are nuts, not sourced? Yes, there can be. That's why I never share memes that have a quote that maybe is too good to be true. I always try to look for the original. I always want my footnotes. I footnote my footnotes, my footnotes. Um, but yes, I've been reading these guys' books, and Joe R., you are right. And 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 it very much aligns with what Monsignor Dillon was warning about, what Leo XIII was warning about, this, this naturalism idea, the sola natura, nature alone idea, that we are sufficient unto ourselves to attain a form of earthly salvation, really. Well, and they even, well, well, even believe that they'll we'll be able to download our consciences. That's I was just gonna go. I was gonna go there a little bit. It's and you see all these billionaire elites who literally believe they can cheat death. They're funding projects so that they don't have to die. I just saw a headline the other day, an article where Schwarzenegger said he plans to never die. It's like. I mean, 20, will, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, that was a crazy idea. I think they called yeah. it gene therapy. It was being developed. I remember my brother telling me about it uh, 20 years ago, gene therapy that was being developed in England. Basically, exactly that, gene therapy. So yeah. people might wonder in their mind, well, George Soros is 92 years old. The guy looks like death. What's going on with him? Not, not far-fetched to think he might be getting some injections on a weekly basis. Or something yeah. along those lines. Josh yeah. Charles, we got to take a break. Uh, uh, a quick comment that I want to make uh, along the lines of what you said. We have to remember, Yuval Harari, and I'm paraphrasing, has basically said that the machine will replace the soul. Okay? Yes. Um, again, yeah. Paraphrasing, Mark Zuckerberg, another oligarch, another elitist, okay, worth hundreds of billions of dollars or tens of billions of dollars, uh, has said, in many ways, social media can replace religion. Yeah. You talk about elitist. You talk about smug. And what bothers me is, and then we're going to go to the break, is, is that when we put the dots together using their own words, 
Yeah. We are conspiracy theorists. I didn't say it. He said it. Yeah. Yuval Harari said it. And I'm glad, by the way, at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, I'm glad, Josh, that you called Yuval, Yuval Harari what he is. That dude is creepy. Yeah. He is really creepy. And Catholics all over the world, and all of us need to be a little leery of what that guy has to say because the things that he wants to implement truly are a new world order beyond yeah. beyond what anybody has imagined. Let's take a quick break. Uh, quick break. Uh, Josh Charles joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. This is a great conversation. The War of the Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization. The book itself was written by Monsignor George Dillon in the 19th century. Joshua Charles, number one New York Times bestselling author, has edited the new edition. So stick around with us. We have another great sec segment with Josh on the Veritas Catholic Radio ne Network. Remember, download the app and share it with your friends. Follow Joe and I on social media wherever you see us, uh, particularly on Twitter. If you can follow us there, that'd be great. Stick around. We have another great segment with Josh. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach with Joshua Charles, number one New York Times bestselling author. He's edited a new edition of Monsignor George Dillon's book, The War of the Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization. Joe Resinello, we could talk to Josh about this for hours, no question, but where do you want to go within our limited time? I think he connected a lot of dots in the first segment, but this is what I want to bring out, and I'm very interested in your comments, Josh. What you talked about, you talked about the World Economic Forum. You talked about some very, uh, if you ask me, diabolical behaviors that are going on in plain sight. But people don't see it. Monsignor Dillon in the book is very explicit with regard to the duty of Catholics and the Catholic Church in fighting this. But people don't see it. They don't realize that they are in a battle. And that's part of the reason why Joe and I do this show. We did this uh, through the promptings of a Catholic priest who asked us to do it, and we try to bring things to light, and that's what you're doing here today. But how could people live up to their duties that Monsignor Dillon basically is laying out when they don't even know that the battle's going on? Well, I think it comes down to this. The root word of religion, I believe it's religiare. I might be mispronouncing that for the Latinists out there but it means to join. The root word of diabolical is to separate. And like I said at the very beginning, the, the core agenda item of all occultism is to separate nature from grace. And we as Catholics believe that our nature, we inherited from Adam and Eve, has been damaged by original sin. Therefore, on its own resources, it cannot get to heaven. It, we must be reborn in baptism. We must be regenerated. We must be justified by God's grace and baptism and continue to persevere until our death and die in a state of grace. Occultists, Freemasons, they do not believe that. They believe that nature, they deny original sin. They deny that nature is inheriting a, a, a original sin, inheriting a grave defect from our original parents, and that by a gnosis, by a knowledge, it can access divinity within itself. 
So one thing I'd point out is it's much easier, and many Catholics, frankly, have fallen for this. It's much easier to be a Satanist than people realize. It's easy to be a Satanist by in one way, if you think you are sufficient to get to heaven on your own, which many people do. If you're a, a priester, I heard that term recently, you know, a Catholic who goes to Mass just on Christmas and Easter, you're in a state of mortal sin. And so when you receive the Eucharist, you are severely damaging your soul if the only time you go to Mass is Christmas and Easter. And you're you're acting as if you are sufficient for your own end. It's like, oh, yeah, I can make it to heaven without the bread of life. I can make it to heaven without the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um Everything in our culture, I, I referred to Oprah sort of, you know, jokingly earlier, but it really is. It, it Our whole culture says, you know, you are you are perfect as you are. There's nothing about you that needs to be changed. We're even saying this. Look, I'm, you know, I'm a Catholic man, so I'm against portraying women in skimpy suits on Sports Illustrated. But now they're portraying people who are grossly obese, and they're even trying to make obesity some sort of acceptable thing because you are perfect as you are. And, and so this, this whole uh, ethic has permeated our culture and anybody who buys into it is buying into a form of Satanism. They really are. Josh, so, Charles, let me, oh, go, yeah. ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, Satanism doesn't need to be this creepy thing. It, it certainly it is at, at higher levels for those who are fully invested into it purposely and intellectually, but it's very easy to partake in, without people explicitly thinking, oh, I'm going to be a Satanist. Because St. Thomas Aquinas says that the fall of Satan, it goes into all this, sola natura, naturalism, nature alone, goes into all this. St. Thomas Aquinas said that the reason why Satan fell was because, well, one, two reasons. One, he, he knew that humans would fall, and he knew that God, the divinity, would assume this lower human nature, and he was disgusted by that. He, it was like a form of spiritual racism and xenophobia that that God would join himself to these these lowly fleshy humans made of dirt. You know, he was disgusted by that one. But primarily, the reason why he fell was because Lucifer wanted to partake of what we call the 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 beatific vision. He wanted to enjoy eternal fellowship with God without grace. He wanted to enjoy it by virtue of his angelic nature alone. So. Every single attempt to make humans fall into his clutches is a is a an attempt of that sort modified for human beings. Your nature is sufficient. You don't need the sacraments. And we see this at the societal level. You don't need the sacraments as an individual has turned into you don't need the sacraments involved in your civilization at all. The temporal power doesn't need the spiritual authority of the church. The temporal power can uh, legislate independent of the spiritual authority of the church. And so what happens? Well, since we know that Catholic theology is true, original sin is damaged. It cannot perceive what is true, good, and beautiful, let alone obey it. And so what happens is when you don't have grace, nature falls into a sort of anti-naturalism. It becomes unnatural. And so what we've seen with temporal powers who are separated from the authority of the church not only are they no longer capable of legislating according to the natural law, they're legislating contrary to the natural law, as we're seeing it everywhere. And why is this? Because Catholic theology is true. We need grace to heal our human nature, to see God, and to enjoy his presence forever. And Satan ultimately wanted to think, nope, 
I shouldn't need grace. My angelic nature is alone. And he teaches his little human minions who go along with his plans the exact same thing. Let me ask you this, Josh Charles. Let's 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 uh, maybe uh, go on a little line of history here for a second. You mentioned Freemasonry, sure. infiltration of the Catholic Church. Okay, that goes over the course probably from what the mid nineteenth century, um, leading up to let's just uh, bring it to the early part of the twentieth century. Uh, Antonio Gramsci, um, obviously proposing the you know the infiltration from within. You know, to to if you want to destroy th that particular institution, let's keep it with the, the church. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and then I think it was Rudy Deutschke later on, uh, the German uh, German leftist. He was the one who coined the phrase the long march. All right. Here's my question. They obviously have a goal. And if you asked me, I don't know. But if you asked me, I would say it looks like they're close to achieving it. You alluded to it briefly, and I want you to expand on the idea of that was a linear progression. You could actually see it. If you look back and you go to the Freemasons, the communists, how they've infiltrated the church. If people out there, Catholics, don't think the church has been infiltrated, their heads are in the sand. Sorry, your heads are in the sand, okay? What is many times being taught today is, is, is not what should be taught in the Catholic church, okay? I think everybody should be sober about that assessment. My point is this. Obviously, these people have a goal. The goal, according to George, uh, Monsignor Dillon, is Antichrist, okay? Brush off his seat. And he's got the power. Given the chaos that's going on out there, all right, would you be shocked if we are living in the time of Antichrist? If, let's say, for argument's sake, for argument's sake, that man of lawlessness is manifested to humanity, we're actually going to see him. The, you know, these are these are uh, these are very very deep topics. Uh, my short answer would be no. I I have personal convictions on this front that. Uh, I think it's more likely than not that in my lifetime that will happen. That's my guess. Now, I grew up as an evangelical, reading the Left Behind books. A lot of they're great stories, but they're really bad theology. Um, and I, I, I actually coined a term for it: uh, the sort of obsession with the end times, apocalyptomania. And so I kind of looked down on it. Now there is an unhealthy form of it, but I will say that since becoming a Catholic. Um, the teaching of the church, the red lines it provides, I think allows a sober consideration of these things. Keeping in mind always that the primary end time each of us needs to be worried about is our own end time, making sure that we die in a state of grace. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, when, when your first Easter is April 2020 or March 2020, whatever it was that year, and the public celebration of the mass has been suspended almost worldwide— yeah, some things are going to go off on your head of what's going, on, what's going on. You know, it, it, we know from Scripture the fathers all say that Antichrist in the last three and a half years of his rule will suspend the public celebration of the mass. This comes from Daniel, several places in Daniel, but in particular Daniel seven and Daniel nine, I believe, where it talks about the daily sacrifice being brought to an end. So, so I I, I made a oblique uh, quick reference earlier to a dry run. It felt like COVID was a dry run, and it was psychologically habituating people to all sorts of abnormal, dysfunctional things. And ironically, that is one thing that uh, I would I'll, I should have pulled the quote up for my uh, for myself. But uh, uh, both Monster Dylan and primarily Leo the Thirteenth, they one of the agenda items of occultism is to degrade the morals of society. Now, why? The Church teaches that our soul has two primary powers, two primary faculties, the intellect and the will. The intellect is how we know, the will is how we choose. So 
when you have an intellect that knows something is right and wrong, but you choose wrong, you literally split your soul. That's how I kind of think about it. You, you're splitting your intellect and your will. The sacraments are meant to bring those together so that we know that from St. Thomas Aquinas, the whole teaching of the church, grace and the sacraments enlightens the intellect and strengthens the will. So it's meant to keep those two together, going through life, persevering to the end till we get to heaven. But sin is when those two split. And when you keep splitting your intellect and your will, and your will, you become a very insecure, cowardly person. People who are extremely careful to do as best they can what their conscience tells them become invincible. People who are consistently trained to violate their conscience become very compliant. And Pope Leo XIII literally says this. He says that part of the whole reason they're doing this is that at the climax of their plot to overturn Christendom, they'll have a compliant population ready for Antichrist. Leo XIII literally says this. No, so, no, it seems like yeah, it's good. It seems like that's coming to fruition. Yeah, Leo XIII in that quote doesn't specifically say Antichrist, but his whole spiel with Freemasonry is it's it's kind of leading in that direction. So, but yes, he says at the climax, you're going to have all these people, a whole population. You know, St. Paul says that uh, basically St. Paul says we all know the natural law more than we'd like to admit, right? Uh, without grace, there's still trouble seeing it, whatnot, certainly following it. Um, but we know right and wrong a lot more than most of us want to admit. Uh, and so, but we have a whole lot of people who, and my, you know, we could be included. We need to be careful, watchful over our own souls as well. But who know what's right and wrong, even if they're not Catholic, there's a sense of that, but they continually violate. This is frankly why I think the LGBTQ plus sort of thing, they constantly need external affirmation. And the reason that there's a, a very easy spiritual reason for this, psychological reason, because their conscience is screaming at them that it's wrong. And so they're trying to get society to drown out their internal conscience. That's what I personally believe. And, and the same is true with all these vices. You're, you're morbidly obese. You've fallen into the sin of gluttony. Uh, you know, you're perfect as you are. Uh, you're fornicating with a bunch of women. You know, you're just looking for your happiness. Uh, you're getting married and divorced multiple times. Oh, well, if you weren't happy, I mean, all of these things are meant to these, the societal loss of stigma for these things. The societal approval of these things is meant to drown out the sound of the internal conscience, I believe. And so, yes, uh, this is all meant to make a compliant cowardly population. So. I, and, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but that's one, one of the things we say at the show all the time on the front line with Joe and Joe, Josh, is that your, your slave master nowadays doesn't put you in chains. He just convinces you that he set you free. Yeah. And then you don't even realize you're a slave. You go around telling people you're free. Dylan Mulvaney goes around telling people he's free and well, he's and a this, slave. And this is why the sacramental life, the life of prayer, uh, one of the best spiritual books I ever read in my life was Cardinal Seurat's The Power of Silence. I would really encourage people today. Um, I was reminded of it this morning at daily mass. There was a long period of silence after we received our Lord in the Eucharist. It was just wonderful to have that stillness, that contemplation of the highest good, the, the divine mystery we just participated in. It's very important to have these things in life because never before in human history have, have so many sources of dopamine been available <laughs> with such instant access. And we human, we human beings are creatures of habit, and the more we get addicted to that dopamine rush, whether it's through... None of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but binging on Netflix, 
getting DoorDash food. I mean, that was we were we were all getting habituated to extremely dysfunctional, disordered behavior during the lockdowns. It was it was shocking. Um, you know, everything they told us, it wasn't just that they were wrong. They were 180 degrees wrong. You know, go inside. We now know vitamin D, all these things. You know, I was at the White House at the time. Um, looking at all this stuff, it, it was all completely nuts what was going on. So anyway. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, for everybody, anybody just joining us here, the book is The War of the Antichrist with Church Christian Civilization. That's written by George Monsignor, George Dillon. Um in the 19th century, Joshua Charles, number one New York Times bestselling author, has edited the new edition. Uh, Joe Resinello, this is so fascinating. I mean, Josh, honestly, we could keep you here for three hours, but we can't. Uh, so we'll come on another time if you guys would like. Absolutely. We'll, we'll cause some more trouble. But we have a little bit more time today, so I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Just there's always been trouble within the church. There's always been elements. We could talk about heresies, Arianism. We could talk about troubled civilizations forever. Um, yet the world keeps spinning. Man keeps moving forward. You mentioned the sacraments, and I want to touch on this because the church is very clear. It says that the Eucharist is viaticum, which is food for the journey. And if you read what a lot of saints have said, um, you can't make it to heaven without <laughs> the sacraments. The church is very explicit in its teaching, including the catechism from 1992, which says there is no salvation outside of the church. However, if you are not Catholic through no fault of your own, the church holds out hope for you. Now, that's not a very popular thing to say, but that is a teaching of the Catholic Church. I'm quoting it almost verbatim in the, in the catechism. But Americanism says otherwise. Americans, to your point, say we do not need the viaticum, the food for the journey. I am sufficient in amongst myself to get me to heaven. You see— even Catholics don't connect that, Josh. That is so dangerous. And I believe that that is our greatest defense against the Antichrist. It's simply living a sacramental life. You don't yeah. have to have a PhD from the Gregorian. Yeah. Go to confession regularly, pray the rosary, receive in a state of grace. You'll make it. Yeah. Talk yeah. about that. From a simple perspective, the person in the pew and your eyes will be open. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Um, I came from Protestantism. Uh, a lot of well-meaning Protestants, but uh, let me connect a few threads here. So I've talked about the occult Freemasonic view that through a certain gnosis, knowledge, you access the divine economy. Well, they don't realize this is what they're doing, but Protestantism kind of teaches something very similar. Faith alone. The idea that through faith alone, through a sort of gnosis in the mind. I trust in Jesus. It's it's variously defined by all sorts of Protestant groups, but I have faith, but this faith is kind of a trust, so it's kind of an emotional thing or it's an intellectual thing. They're not quite clear about it, but they do believe that through this trust or this ascent, whatever, that they enter the divine economy, that alone, and that's sufficient. Now, there's some Protestants who talk about you need good works, okay, that you can lose salvation, fine. But the broad-based Protestantism of our culture is... I accept Jesus into my heart. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Um, there's no there's no further work to do. But we know from St. Paul that I can have faith like mountains, but if I have not love, 
I am nothing. Okay. This is why the Catholic Church has always said, yes, we come to the, the sacrament of baptism in faith, and that's how we begin the Christian life. Absolutely. It's no longer through circumcision. It's through faith in, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who justifies us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then after that, it is faith working through love, as Paul says in St. Galatians, uh, Saint, uh, Paul says in Galatians. So I've often said that something to the effect of a little old lady praying who, who doesn't know how to read the Bible or knows very little about it, who piously prays her rosary before the altar in the church, knows more theology than somebody who has their Bible, is convinced that they are sufficient to perfectly understand it, and is misinterpreting all of it. <laughs> so, so there's a there's a real sense in which that's very true. And so the the spirituality in a way that I aspire to, you know, I'm an intellectual. You guys can see all the books. I love to read, right? Um, but but in in a, in a very serious way, the spirituality I aspire to is that of the little old lady who we all know, the faithful, childlike. One of the other phrases I've had in life since college is, as I get older, I want to become less childish and more childlike. Because Jesus says, unless you come to me like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this sort of childlike trust in the goodness of God and, and Jesus in the midst of the trials of this world. So, um, so yeah, uh, the sacramental life is key. And essentially, the essence of Christian civilization was everything becomes sacramental. We have the sacraments, but from the sacraments, everything in life is sacramentalized, right? Whether it's church and state, marriage. This is, this is a key reason. Uh, if I can make a final point about the Please. family. Sure, because, yeah. Because the people don't realize that there's so many more details in the book. And just here's here's the book. There's so many more details. Monsignor Dillon outlines the structure of this conspiracy, this atheistic organization, he says. Uh, he, he gives examples of people who were involved. He quotes documents. So a lot of really, really fascinating stuff. I quote fairly extensively from some Masonic sources. That basically, as we were talking earlier, Joe R., about um, wanting to revive the pagan mystery system. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Joe P., that was that was your point. Um, and so a lot of really interesting stuff. But the family is a really important point. We know from Our Lady of Fatima that, I mean, she, Sister Lucy said she said this will be the final battle with Satan. Um, and so people need to know that making marriage divorce laws easier was a Masonic agenda item from the very beginning. They wanted marriage to simply be a matter of consent and consent being ongoing. So if one of the parties ceases to consent, they can get out of it. Okay. So, uh, and, and truth be told, again, we love our Protestant brethren, but Protestantism, one of the chief things that Protestantism did, it prepared the way Protestantism was in many ways, the John the Baptist of modern day occultism, Protestantism took marriage from the church, denied it was a sacrament, and put it in the authority of the state. William Bradford, he was one of the pilgrim fathers of the Plymouth Plantation. In his book about the history of the Plymouth Plantation, he talks about this. He says, marriage is under the civil magistrate. And this is a good thing. He basically, I forget whether he talks about the Romish papists or whatever, but he basically, it's clear what he's talking about. We've we've recovered the gospel, and so marriage is with the civil magistrate now. It's out of the hand. And so and, and divorce, while it was rarer, much rarer in early America, it was always allowed. It was always permitted. There was, there was, there was no idea. about. And so the, the Masonic agenda, wherever it was in Europe, in the United States, was to make divorce laws easier and easier and easier. 
and now we have no-fault divorce. And what does this mean? It means the family itself is in the process of being desacramentalized. You can only have easy divorce laws if you don't believe marriage is a sacrament, okay? And they also talk about Masonic infiltration of education and separating education from any religious instruction, any transcendent religious principle. This is likewise separating the education of children from the from the divine, separating nature from grace. And so this is really about tearing down the family in many respects as as the primeval unit of society. Um, yeah, and that's why the sacramental the sacramental life is what joins nature and grace. That's what joins it together. And so if people want to fight, you know, I'll close with this. I gave a I gave a speech in like, I don't know, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there at a tax day rally here in Sacramento, the Sacramento area. And I quoted from a letter on April 15th, 1776 from John Adams to his wife, Abigail Adams. And he basically said something to the effect of, you know, um, I'm fighting for these things, and if my if it's not good enough for my children, then they're not my children. And he says, raise them to be good and manly, virtuous. Teach them to revere nothing but religion, virtue, and, and liberty, is what he says to Abigail Adams. Now, John Adams was not a Catholic or anything, but my point to those people at that tax day rally was, we can come to all the rallies we want, you know, a lot of Tea Party stuff, but if we're not doing this at home, if we're not valuing virtue, religion, and liberty at home, in our churches, in our civic organizations— all this activism, all these rallies will do nothing. So I'd say the same to Catholics. We can point out World Economic Forum. This is why I'm glad you're closing. You guys are closing this because you guys get it. We can call it World Economic Forum. We can call it Schwab. We can call it Harari. We can call out, you know, bad bishops in the church. There are plenty of those. Um, we need, if we do that, we need to be very charitable. St. Thomas Aquinas says that. Um, but at the end of the day, if we're not keeping vigilant watch of our own souls if we're not through the sacramental life joining nature and grace we're we, we've lost like you can gain the whole world but lose your soul and the, you lose <laughs> so the, the story goes josh charles let me ask you this because we only have a couple minutes left and i really like your opinion the way i heard the story was pope leo wrote the saint michael prayer pope, pope yeah. leo the 13th after a vision that he had where he saw jesus and satan uh, and Satan said to him, said to Jesus, give me a hundred years, I'll wreck your church. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the 13th fell back, uh, went and wrote the St. Michael prayer. Anyway, long story short, do you believe that, number one? And number two, are we actually seeing that? Yeah, I, I think so. So the longer version of the St. Michael prayer has a reference to Zechariah 13, 7, which was quoted by our Lord about his crucifixion and his passion, says that the, sh the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. And Pope Leo XIII seems to apply. He says something about they have set up their throne. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm doing it from memory. I talk about it in the introduction, though. They have set up their throne in, in the center in Rome to strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. And then in one of his later encyclicals where he talks about Freemasonry, he uses the exact same terminology. He says the Masons have set up their throne in Rome to do this. So... The church and the catechism talks about the passion of the church, essentially, that as the Lord in his individual body experienced his passion, that the church as his mystical body prior to his return will experience its passion. There, now there's passions throughout all of history. The constant pattern of history is you have the church, you have the world, 
But then there's always an overlap. The church fathers talk about this. They, the the typology they get in Noah's Ark, there was the clean and the unclean animals. Uh, they're in the in the field of the Lord, there's the wheat and the chaff. Uh, among the those who the Lord will separate at the day of judgment, sheep and the goat. So there's always this element that is within the church. We know this from Judas. And we know that when our Lord was crucified, only John and Our Lady, St. John and Our Lady, were, were with him at the cross with a few women. That's it. Okay? So, yeah, I believe that we're likely in a period that could be described as the church's passion. I My best guess is that it will get worse. My best guess is that, yeah, we're in those times. I could be wrong. I don't want to set dates. We're not – the church forbids us from doing that, and we shouldn't do it. Um, but ultimately – in light of that, I think the call is to live a more sacramental life even ever more deeply. Absolutely. Josh Charles, this has been a fascinating conversation. Now, we know the book is The War of the Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization. That's out from Tan Books, the book having been written by Monsignor George Dillon, Joshua Charles, who was gracious enough to come on the front line with Joe and Joe, has edited the new edition. And Joshua is a number one New York Times bestselling author. Real quick, Josh, where could our audience know a little bit more about you and what you have going on? And outside of Tan Books, where could they purchase this book? Sure. Uh, Amazon. Uh, like everything else. <laughs> and uh, my website is joshuatcharles.com. And uh, my Twitter handle is the exact same. Uh, you know, going to be good, going to be posting a lot more. I've got more books on the way. So, no, this has been great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I know your Twitter, hand, Twitter handle because I followed you this morning. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, Josh, thanks a lot, brother. We really appreciate you. You are, well, you are welcome back at the front line with Joe and Joe anytime, brother. I'd love to. I'd love to. Thank you guys for what you're doing. All right, great conversation. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, share it with your friends. This way you have access to all of our station's content. And hey, if you like what Joe and I do, all of our political, social, and cultural commentary, you can see on social media, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and we're really trying to build up Twitter. So at with Joe and Joe at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Please follow us there. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.